welcome. You're joining us at Hyde Park on Other Derana 24. As we speak today, Sri Lanka is in the crosshairs of uh, a diplomatic row, a possible controversy between India and China as Sri Lanka approves the entry um, to a Chinese vessel, Yuan Wang 5, to dock at the Hambantota port, the southern port of Sri Lanka, while India has directly raised concerns and opposition uh, to the vessel. Um, again, China says this is on a research and satellite um, uh, navigation purpose, but yet to find out what this controversy is all about, whether Sri Lanka should uh, consider Indian concerns or disregard India totally and where Sri Lanka should stand in terms of managing our foreign policy, given the current political and economic crisis that Sri Lanka is faced, and how this island nation should balance our superpowers and regional powers. I've invited to our studios an expert on the subject, a former foreign minister of Sri Lanka. Um, a very warm welcome to you, Mr. Rohita Bogalagama. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, Dr. Bugalagama, um, we've been talking about uh, the Chinese vessel for about a week now. It was unclear whether um, Sri Lanka was actually welcoming this ship, whether Sri Lanka um, had any knowledge or information about a Chinese vessel that was bound to Sri Lanka until Reuters news agency um, took to report on the news um, itself. And they had quoted the uh, Defense Ministry officials who had initially declined that they had any information of such a vessel. Um, what is your view on, the, the, uh, on, on this current controversy and the surrounding information that uh, we are privy to? In fact, uh, what we have to address here, basically these things cannot be taken by surprise. These are long drawn plans that are put into execution on bilateral understandings and I would say uh, scheduling. But these vessels sailing already started sailing from their ports in, uh, in China, arriving in Hambantota on the 11th of this month, staying there till the 17th of the month. And first in this area shall we look at what are we talking about in terms of vessel, yeah. whether it's a warship or a satellite transmission ship or a scanning ship etc. Mm -hmm. Now if it falls into a category of war supporting vessels then belonging to navies rather than merchant navy mm -hmm. of a country like commercial vessels then of course special permission has to be obtained. If you are flying under another flag uh, for merchandise purposes and commercial transactions of course ports of call are there and in terms of the international navigation laws uh, one can always sail into a port in terms of the customary procedures associated. Mm -hmm. Here is a vessel, if you take a picture of Yon 5, is one of the latest, I would say, satellite transmitting plus serving vessels. Mm -hmm. where they have very high powered, uh, what is something similar to the, the X-train equipment, right. which are high resolutions that can stretch to a distance of uh, about a thousand kilometers mm -hmm. or beyond mm -hmm. and make proper ground service or including uh, the area service. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I think the concerns of India is, here is a Chinese vessel with whom they have certain amount of tension, uh, obviously because they are big neighbors, 
Chinese border on India, on top of the northern part of India, is huge. Mm -hmm. And they have concerns. That's a bilateral concerns are there for large countries. Here too, they may have those things. Having said that, when a whistle of this nature comes, then of course India reacts in this manner. For that, only diplomacy can play a role. Mm -hmm. How do we manage these affairs? First, when we had notice of this, we should share this information because it's a matter of concern, obviously, we have to understand. And also, we have to manage with our friends like China. Mm -hmm. And these are not the first time such vessels are coming to Sri Lanka from other neighboring countries as well. But the sensitivity is purely because this has the type of equipment that can penetrate the Indian soil mm -hmm. and beyond that, the Indian territory. Uh, in terms of both air and sea and land uh, air service and x-rays to be taken. So they have a genuine concern that they have expressed themselves. Uh, Dr. Spokalagama, we've been talking about uh, the sensitivity of this um, of, of the ship's arrival in Sri Lanka. But in your um, expertise, what kind of an analysis do you have of the uh, impact on the region's security, regional security when a vessel as this? Um, arrives in one of the most uh, geopolitically sensitive uh, areas of the region? Of course, geopolitical concerns are of great importance for a country's uh, mm -hmm. uh, planning processes for management of diplomacy. But having said that, I don't think we have to get too excited mm -hmm. in the manner in which this vessel has sailed into the country. Because we would have had previous notice and we have permitted it now it's a matter of mitigating the type of misgivings associated okay. uh, with Indian concerns. So India also has a legitimate concern that they express. Having said that, I take it, this may not lead because Sri Lanka being a very innocent party between two major players in the world, India on one side and equally China on the okay. other hand. So that this may be a starting point for similar exercises to take place in the future too. Therefore, that is what we have to avoid. In the event, this type of nature of this type of visits are going to be frequent and it's going to irritate our neighbors, then it's a matter of great concern for us to see how best we could mitigate these developments. Should we, in the first place, have allowed such a vessel to um, enter Sri Lankan waters? We should have looked at, in terms of what this vessel is all about, mm -hmm. and in the event it is becoming too sensitive, to the Indian interest and they have concerns of it, then obviously we should have talked with the Chinese, explained to them, uh, particularly because we had to play a game of good management of our foreign relations. Okay. What I would say today we need the best management techniques to be employed in getting what is right for Sri Lanka first. And having said that, India has been coming to our assistance as uh, recalled by uh, the President yesterday in his own uh, statement to parliament and he has acknowledged the role of India in big time and equally the other neighboring countries are important for us and also our traditional friends like China mm -hmm. who have been standing by us throughout at the most worst periods of our Sri Lanka's recent history. China has been assisting us in no, uh, no small measure. Mm -hmm. So therefore these are matters we have to take into account at the same time, being friends, we could always share certain concerns we may have 
uh, with the arrival of this type of buses to Sri Lanka. Um, according to the information I've received, uh, we've allowed uh, Indian vessels, the most number of Indian uh, defense and war-related vessels to visit Sri Lanka in the past, uh, and Japan follows with the U US um, coming third. So Chinese, the number of Chinese vessels are limited to a handful of those that have visited Sri Lanka. But in this given context, um, when we talk about Indian concern and a Chinese vessel coming into Sri Lanka, can Sri Lanka really um, avoid a Chinese vessel visiting our um, port when we've allowed so many Indian vessels, uh, followed by Japanese and US um, defense-related vessels as well? China is not our immediate neighbor. India is our neighbor, whether their vessels come to Sri Lanka or not. We are only about 30 to 20 to 30 kilometers away from the Indian shores as a country, as an island. So the presence of Indian vessels, whether they are within our territorial waters or inside our harbors or ports, uh, is of uh, not very significant. Here is vessels coming from beyond our hemisphere in terms of uh, the territorial waters of Sri Lanka and the Indian Ocean by itself. We have already conceded the Indian hegemony uh, over the Indian Ocean where the South India is uh, uh, concerned, not South India real, the, the, our South Asia is okay. concerned. And with that, uh, the Indian vessels come in even on a regular basis, is a part and parcel of their waters in terms of beyond our territorial waters, is the Indian waters that come into play. Mm -hmm. So that their vessels are sailing, they may have their submarines going around. So these are little uh, impact mm -hmm. in terms of our interest because we are used, we have to be part and parcel of our traditional and also the relationships we have been maintaining. But China is a country that is coming into the Indian uh, Ocean and also coming and parking their vessels, military assets, in Sri Lanka in our ports with close proximity to Indian uh, boundaries. That's a matter of serious concern. It's like our uh, going into American vessels coming into maybe South Korea or going across to uh, across the uh, South China Sea to Japan. Likewise, they are matters of concern to the Chinese at that point. So that is why there is always tension in South Korea, then comes over to Japan, and amongst the three of them. Uh, so these are concerns very uh, valid at times. And sensitivities of nations and countries must be always taken, should be factored in mm -hmm. to our foreign policy management. So that's the exercise that is the responsibility with the foreign ministry. I'd like to talk about foreign policy as well, but going back to your time as foreign minister, you were foreign minister of Sri Lanka during a most crucial time of our history, and that required the management of these superpowers and uh, uh, the sensitivity in balancing these superpowers when Sri Lanka had to um, make certain decisions on the country's favor. So how did you, I'd like to talk about your experience also, uh, working with the administration, working with the diplomats and other um, regional superpowers in managing Sri Lanka's viewpoint and standing by it. Yeah, the time I became foreign minister, I think at that time it was, uh, we were going out of one uh, phase mm -hmm. of what we term as a peaceful uh, period of uh, since 2002 to 2006 because of the peace accord that was signed right. by Prime Minister Prani Vikram Singh at that time, the current president. And when I took over the foreign ministry responsibilities as minister, we had, I myself had participated 
as peace talks with the LTT in Geneva on two occasions. Mm -hmm. Except for Prabhakaran, Vilipulli Prabhakaran, the entire hierarchy of the LTT I had met in Geneva on two occasions. That means two sessions. Mm -hmm. uh, that once it was in June, that followed up by somewhere in September in the year 2006, spending about three days at each session, then going out for a break, about three months, mm -hmm. four months, coming back, starting again. So I interacted closely with the LTT uh, key players. Mm -hmm. Bala Singham down was to Pulidevan, then we had Tamil Chalvam, the whole gamut of the, the hierarchy of the LTT. Right. Having talked in Geneva, that also exposed me to the strategies we should adopt mm -hmm. in terms of uh, what we sh how we should navigate this process. Because I noticed at that time they commanded overall acceptance as a movement world across. World across because they had the type of support as a liberation movement. Mm -hmm not as a terrorist movement, a lot of countries condemn them for terrorism, but recognize the cause. So that from the Western powers to the Eastern uh, uh, presence, they were fairly recognized as uh, what we call, not as a state party, mm -hmm. as another party associated in negotiations. Mm. So with this, we had a fairly as tough uh, stance to take, how we are going to label them once again as terrorists. That is the conversion that I had to adopt as a matter of uh, strategy to call them terrorists. And for that purpose, uh, when I went to Washington, I had to explain, in fact, I had the privilege of meeting with the entire the hierarchy of the defense establishment, from uh, Dr. Gates, who was the defense secretary, mm -hmm. uh, then coming to Condoleezza Rice, and the uh, president was uh, George uh, W. Bush, then coming to the, his national security advisor, then going across to the Justice Department, meeting with the Attorney General Gonzalez, uh, likewise, and also put the entire apparatus in place. Not only the blockage of uh, arms supplies to Sri Lanka in various other LTT assets being brought across the Indian Ocean, but also to impose uh, restrictive measures to prevent the money supply from Europe to their destinations in Asia, where the monies were coming, the collections were coming, and thereby they were procuring arms, and they were indulging in other illicit trades in the world, from, right. s from human smuggling, you name it, to narcotics, hmm. you had uh, what you call uh, money laundering, all the offenses, and also they were having assets in the form of vessels. They had about 11 to 13 vessels uh, going across. Uh, this part of the world in the oceans. Mm -hmm. So we had to have international backing. So US came on top because they had the satellite, uh, strength of satellite information. And also India was a major party to satisfy politically. So that's why I was able to make about 27 times meeting with the Indian Prime Minister, at that time uh, Prime Minister Manmohan Singh, mm -hmm. then uh, uh, Foreign Minister, um, uh, Pranam Mukherjee, uh, likewise engage fully mm -hmm. in terms of explaining the issues. India was looking at a political solution to the matter. They were not encouraging terrorism, but they were concerned of the people of Sri Lanka, both in the north and the rest of the country. They never wanted our shows to be used as a ground field for terrorism.
Now you see the recent attacks coming in Kabul mm -hmm. by the US, destroying the Al-Qaeda current leader, Al-Samani, uh, being destroyed on Sunday. Why? The, the agreement between uh, Afghanistan and the US at the time of US virtually giving up uh, Afghanistan was that they will not make a terror base. Mm -hmm. But they found uh, this Al-Qaeda leader still remaining in Kabul under their coverage so that they had to take him out. Mm -hmm. So those are justifications they found in a country which we believe in civilized uh, developments and for that path is to be avoiding terrorism. Mm -hmm. So we had to employ the strategies even in the, in, uh, the UK. Then came the EU. By that time there were co-chairs uh, that came into being because of the peace accord that was signed, what you call the peace treaty that was signed between the LTT and the government of Sri Lanka, uh, supervised by Norway. Mm -hmm. and, and we had co-chairs including the US, uh, Norway coming in, then you had uh, Japan. Uh, then we also had the EU presence. Mm -hmm. uh, with that, we had uh, every month I used to meet up with the co-chairs, discuss whilst they, had, they were advocating a peaceful transition in terms of LTT to uh, come into the negotiating table. Mm -hmm. We also had to have our military presence in the north to protect our people. So the message that I took out to the world was, we are fighting terrorists in the country. And uh, Minister Kadirgama's, uh, I would say, assassination, it was a matter in point to show that they are not allowing even the innocent, they are targeting even the politicians irrespective of who they are, mm -hmm. even from their own uh, community race. The people have been fed and they are repeating their history and they shouldn't be believed. And we, a legitimate government of Sri Lanka that we represent, we are fighting to protect our territorial integrity and sovereignty of our nation, along with the freedom of our people, irrespective of who we are, whether it's the Tamils or the Sinhalese. And if you take the list of our people, the victims from the Muslims to the Burgers to the Sinhalese, all have fell uh, to the LTT bullet. Mm -hmm. And that is the sacrifice including the Tamil community has made in order to see there's no terrorism in this country. So they had to do this intensively. And for that matter, we had to have platforms to talk these things. And for that, I was uh, getting onto every possible international forum, mm -hmm. like the ARF, uh, that is the ASEAN Regional Forum, where 27 countries were there, ACD, 31 countries were associated. Then we had the Shanghai Cooperation Dialogue, uh, where China and India too comes into play there. Then we had the US coming to assist us in terms of bilateral relationships, mm -hmm. and they were concerned certain aspects. But in the meantime, they were also not tolerating terrorism. They were very frank about that. So we had to manage it mm -hmm. with the US ambassadors here at that time. Uh, Bob Blake was here, Robert Blake. Um, he was concerned about in the event there are civilian casualties, yes. But in the event terrorists get killed in the battle, then of course it's a matter of explaining how it is. So we had to have a continuous engagement with the world at large. Uh, you did mention it's a matter of explaining our side of the story, but do you think uh, our administrations, you've worked under former President Chandrika Bandarnayaka Kumaratunga and uh, uh, when uh, our now president, then Prime Minister Ranil Vikramasinghe was the premier of the country, and you've also worked under uh, the uh, Mahindra Rajapaksa administration when he was president. Yes, yes, yes. Um, 
But in terms of our foreign policy and managing these concerns by the international community, where did we fail? Because it seems that even at the UNHRC, Sri Lanka's matter continues to be taken up negatively. And um, currently, our former foreign minister, G.L. Pires, has been uh, raising concern that this matter will uh, be taken up seriously given Sri Lanka's economic crisis and the political instability uh, and the manipulation of uh, parliament as he termed. It's like but this. Uh, basically, uh, how I look at it, we fought it, we won the battle against terrorism. Mm -hmm. But still, we had to attend to certain reconciliation process which were part of the, the declaration we entered into with the United Nations with the Secretary-General Ban Ki-moon and that of the government of Sri Lanka, mm -hmm. where I officially submitted it uh, across. And that's how we had a joint press conference. We announced it and I spoke for the government of Sri Lanka and uh, Secretary-General Ban Ki-moon uh, represented the United Nations. And this was done in Kandy on the 23rd of May. We just finished with the LTT on the 18th of uh, May mm -hmm. and within five days the top delegation of the UN arrived and we, sir, we visited uh, along with the uh, Secretary General and myself we both went to the north and we went to Kilnochi, we went to uh, Mulativ, we went to Waunia camps, we saw to ourselves how the government of Sri Lanka has helped out in the rescue operation over 300,000 Tamil civilians been rescued including Prabhakaran's own parents were rescued by the military. So we showed what has been done, uh, the transparency, and these evolved because there were satellites all the time uh, to take cover in Sri Lanka. Mm -hmm. At the same time, they had all the images. And most mornings, I had the American uh, embassy to call in on me and showing me the previous night, they call it our bomb in the north in terms of those terrorist locations mm -hmm. and the, the, the whatever the collateral damage. And these things, we had to explain to them how these things uh, came about, how, how, why they, we call them terrorist bombing. Mm -hmm. And terrorist bombing against civilian casualties is different. That's how the explanations are needed. And they came to accept it. But there was a period they wanted us to account for certain things. And uh, on the 26th of May itself, in 2009, they moved for the first resolution in Geneva, the entire EU. But we were able to balance it off. We didn't lose it there. Mm -hmm. uh, then came the subsequently the resolution started coming, uh, seeking accountability uh, on the, the, the casualties mm -hmm. and also the human rights violations. Atrocities, they named it like that. But then the subsequent to me, there were so many foreign ministers in office uh, since I ceased to be in office. Uh, then we should have, uh, my line of argument is, we should have spoken with the world. Uh, we should have been fairly uh, truthfully communicating to the world and also engaging with the world in terms of reconciliation process. And for that, we need several um, avenues to be tapped. It has many facets in reconciliation. Mm -hmm. Not only the humanitarian work that we must carry out, we also have to be explaining to them uh, of the concerns like missing persons, etc. Uh, the war victims, mm -hmm. the compensation, uh, all these things come as a matter of uh, integrated to one another and uh, we have to see these links are being well, uh, well explained. Mm -hmm. So that's how we should have done. I think there was a gap in that. 
That is one uh, burden may come on the president, current president, once again, uh, President Rani Vikram Singh, mm -hmm. uh, in terms of the accountability and both in terms of reconciliation. Was this a failure in our foreign policy over the years, or is uh, it, it the, um, the, the foreign ministers who were um, appointed uh, to the position? How can I answer this? <laughs> you are too blunt. Ask if the failures of individuals. I will avoid that being said. But overall, I would say, it's not the foreign policy issue. It is our foreign policy is very neutral. We have we have no enemies to speak of. We are friends with everybody. In generally speaking, we are a good non-aligned country, uh, but we are align ourselves in terms of our economic relationships. Uh, these are obvious and part and parcel of world politics. Having said that, engagement. In the event we breach our engagement and we lower our so-called uh, focus mm -hmm. in the important segments in terms of our relationships. That is a very fatal uh, mistake that one is making for a nation and for a country. Foreign policy must be kept alive all the time. Foreign relations must be kept alive all the time. We work on a broad framework. And for that, two things we need. In order to take our message across, we need engagement. In order to develop engagement, we need mutual respect from one another with whom we are dealing. Only they recognize us as a, a serious country that is keeping our word. Our integrity must be put on top. Then only the relationships get built up. And then we start communicating. How best can we communicate is another area to concentrate on. The tools that we have to use in communication is relationship built up. And once you have a relationship, uh, we should not go and say things for the sake of saying. We must be saying things in terms of what comes first for Sri Lanka's interest and equally respect the views of our, uh, our partners in the world across, our friends across, uh, to understand the gravity in which we are uh, maintaining our situation back at home, equally respecting their concerns if they express them to our face. So like how we build it up. That's why it is very vital. We must be part and parcel of the machinery that is deployed by the major countries in the world, like the US bloc. You have the Indian interests. You have the Chinese interests. You have the Asian interests. That's why you find everyone is part of a club now. And there is not only single club. These are not exclusivities, but several of these forums. Then you have more people coming around you, more countries supporting you, more countries willing to listen to you, and more countries will respect our strengths as a nation. We'll take a short break here at Hyde Park on Other Derana 24 before we return to speak of Sri Lanka's foreign policy and the key challenges the current administration under President Rana Wickremesinghe may have to face when managing uh, our regional superpowers and friendly nations going forward. conversation with Mr. Rohita Bogolagama, former foreign minister of Sri Lanka. Um, you are an attorney of since 1976 from that time until about 1990, the early 1990s. Um, before you entered parliament from the United National Party in year 2000, right. um, 
and you've, as I said before, worked with uh, the former president, Chandrika Bandar Kumaratung, and former president uh, Mahinda Rajapaksa as well. And during, during that time, um, now president Ranil Vikramasinghe managed to be prime minister um, a couple of times. You've worked with him as well. Of course. Um, going forward for the new president, um, Ranil Vikramasinghe, who became president, I think this is historic as we speak of it, um, who only secured a national list seat in parliament, is now the president, while the president who won a majority, overwhelming majority, is no longer there. But what are the key challenges for presidency of this nature going forward, especially not from a domestic point of view, but from managing external affairs of the island? In fact, uh, because you recall my mm -hmm. period in the UMPA uh, with uh, the current president, it is he who appointed me as the organizer of Nikavati electorate. Okay. In 2000, I contested and won the Kutnayakal district and then became Minister of Industries under him when he became Prime Minister in 2001. Okay. So that the time he signed into the, the, the LTT uh, agreement, ceasefire agreement, I was uh, Minister of Industries and um, he was the Prime Minister. Right. Then I joined the Chandrika Bandaranaika government, followed up with uh, Bahindra Rajapaksa succession. Uh, with that, now he's back as the president of Sri Lanka. The question of whether it's one vote, one seat uh, in parliament, uh, presidency, it doesn't work like that. It's a matter of parliamentary franchise. People's franchise being exercised by majority parliamentary uh, members uh, decides on the succession of a president. And president who got elected with a huge majority and equal number of votes, uh, President Gotabe Rajapaksa, he has resigned office. That is also part of the constitution of this country. Okay. A president can resign from office. So then it comes within the parliamentary, uh, the constitutional process. And then the parliament has the right to elect the next successor for the balance period of the first president. So the current president, Rani Vikram Singh, has got elected with the Ohilmin majority in parliament, uh, were about 51 members voting as a majority, 134 seats, he, uh, members voted in favor. Okay. Uh, the, his closest uh, opponent uh, came, uh, Dallas Salah Perma, member of parliament. He got 82 seats, so there's a very clear majority of 51 seats uh, over the closest uh, rival. Having said that, now he's declared the president and he has already announced his policy uh, paper yesterday in parliament, it was in the house, and he has stretched from the economic priorities to the political priorities for the country as a nation. What I like most in his statement, he went on to say that I am not a short-term planner. My plans are meant in terms of long-term. That's what I did throughout his political carry, he said. And sometimes people found fault for doing such long-term planning. But he cited three good examples where Sri Lanka missed out without having long-term plans. And one was uh, the oil tank farm development in Trincomalee, where the, up to now uh, it has not got into its full optimum use. And that was a major mistake because we never planned it properly and the resistance came on tribal issues 
to whom is he being given, etc. But today people are in the queues asking for a gallon of petrol or two gallons liters of petrol, stay in queues for five, six days sometimes in order to get these things. Why? We lost out uh, the true potential we had built into Sri Lanka without using it. Okay. So now he has put a plan uh, for the country on long-term basis. He said the, by the year 2048, we should be a developed nation. That's another 20 to 20, 25 years. Yes, why not? In the event we plan our education, plan our agriculture, plan our e uh, exports, and if our economy gets catered to be an export-oriented economy, then of course the dollar issues will not arise for the country. If we had done that, all major plans of any country for that matter, takes time to realize. But once it gets realized, the stability is there, the continuity is there, sustainability is there, people benefit out of it. So this is the planning that Rani Vikram Singh presidency is going to introduce to Sri Lanka. And that planning is what he needs, the consolidation of the political strengths. And to show the world, here is a government with strength. And that is one other aspect of his political trajectory. That is to bring a unity government for the first time in Sri Lanka to cater to these dire needs of the people. Today, people are virtually, it's on record, a lot of people suffer without having adequate food, adequate uh, income, uh, support in terms of transport, uh, fertilizer for their paddy fields, for plantations. So we need the entire overall of our system. For that, we need stability. In order to cater to stability, for another 30 months before whatever the period they are, the people will exercise their franchise once again. We need to stabilize and get the economic agenda going. For that, the unity government being sought. That is why I think very uh, he's laboring heavily now to bring the collectiveness of a nation. Even yesterday, he emphasized another key point, which impressed me, that in the event we remain divided, as Sinhalese, as communities, as various community blocks, uh, in terms of religion, in terms of ethnicity, uh, in terms of language, uh, it only retards our uh, strengths and development for the future. So let us call ourselves Sri Lankans and go forward on a strong agenda that can impress the world at large, that here is a nation rising to meet all the challenges and accomplishing their goals as set out in a very transparent manner, in a manner the world can come to respect us. That is what we have to strive. So I think he has come out with the leadership that the country was lacking for some time uh, without, uh, without a proper solid uh, communication both to the country and to the world at large. Uh, yesterday's policy statement, uh, the maiden policy statement by the president gave the international community as well as uh, Sri Lanka signs of uh, stable policies for the country, consistent policy, although Sri Lanka for a long time has been talking about becoming Asia's miracle or the hub of South Asia and um, becoming developed in the uh, in, in the 2020 period, although now Sri Lanka is faced with uh, grave, dire um, economic uh, circumstances. But going forward, in managing these foreign policy concerns that we have already, we are in um, a, a kind of turmoil where India and China um, have concerns about the vessel that we spoke of. Um, 
how do you think a runner wickramasing a government could manage these going forward mr bogalagam especially there have been times when sri lanka managed to easily anger india and irritate india and uh, sideline india from sri lankan matters uh, and we got closer to china we managed to anger japan as well although japan has uh, been sri lanka's friend since the jr jawadana um, presidency um so how how do you think um arana wickramasinghe uh, era could avoid all these uh, challenges i'm sure he had the experience as a leader and the world recognition as an individual mm-hmm. because he has been in the scene for a long time and he has been always carrying the democratic flag high and above so that's a major strength of a leader in today's context the world respects leaders who are committed to democratic principles so that is why i think he has uh, brought in the fact two factors here law and order and democracy for the nation so even for the protesters he has said innocent protest is uh, allowed and is encouraged it is something a way of voicing one's concerns uh, that's important for a democracy and it's important to get the certain parts into the correct line and for that matter he is encouraging them at the same time violence if you are misusing your liberties to bring about destruction to the national interest then of course law and order has to prevail okay. so i think is a is a very good way to look at uh, the governing pattern for the future from a government of nothing he has created the government look where hope is there for people now once again that's one mistake the previous government made including the president because the tol- the type of uh, lethargy that sit in the government due to lack of action created all this uh, confusion to the to the both to the policy makers to the civil service to the armed forces to the law and order situation of the country and no direction properly so that means the country can't function and that's the result was people were on the streets uh, seeking a direction to the country to get it up because people wanted their sucker sustenance then medicine all these things are basic requirements we were lacking all that still we have to cure all these uh, deficits so i think president vikram uh, singh has a major challenge in his hands uh, to cater to the people's needs and to bring up the economy which he has said no short term measures but long term but short term we have to have certain assistance coming from the world uh, multilateral institutions like the IMF the world bank asian development bank the bilateral strengths we must use it to the optimum level and that is what you need good foreign relations development and management uh, that's what i am emphasizing on this foreign relations aspect that's what we did in the past uh, all our development programs were assisted from the time of president jr uh, uh, jawadan even prior to that uh, during our Uh, he, uh, the post independence era development came with foreign uh, engagement and assistance from abroad to sri lanka foreign investments because president jawadan took a very liberal uh, market oriented economic policy the uh, us was supporting us that's how martin trust and them came and started our uh, apparel industry apparel industry in kafal from the sky it had to be created then the infrastructure had to be created in the free trade zones when i myself was chairman of the boi large investors came from the west and equally from the east 
like Korea was the largest, single largest investing country. About 131 Korean companies alone were there in Sri Lanka at that time. Mm -hmm. Yesterday when I met uh, the Korean ambassador, I mentioned special emphasis how large the Korean presence in Sri Lanka were at that time. So we had to revisit these connections of ours. We had the Japanese friends, yes. Sorry. Does this mean we have to also come out of uh, the Chinese uh, influence in Sri Lanka or manage it in such a way where we allow Korea to return and Japan and India's influence to be um, seen more visible uh, in the country? If you look at China, how many Korean companies are there in China itself? China has become a manufacturing uh, destination to the whole world. It's an industrial, industrial base. Not only the Korean, the Japanese, the Americans, the Indians all have stepped into Chinese manufacturing base. And that's why China has grown so fast and so strong. And uh, there's no resistance merely because China has stepped into Sri Lanka, that the other countries can't come and equally have their presence in our country. But what is this concern about China, uh, the debt diplomacy, uh, that Sri Lanka has uh, given way too much into Chinese influence, uh, especially when we talk about the current economic concerns and IMF management, India, the United States have also requested that chi uh, China be dealt as any other creditor in Sri Lanka. So there's a lot of uh, concern among India and uh, the United States as well. What is the amount of debt China has given us? I mean the credit. How many? Five, eight billion out of our 31 billion state debt. Our private sector also has borrowed. That's how our debt is about 58 billion US dollars. So what is the percentage of this? It is not giving us not the wrong thing. But our local policymakers, the successive governments did not manage what they borrowed properly. Mm. How did, did they, having put up the, uh, the, uh, the highways, Huge amounts of money have been invested on our infrastructure. But that is all still. Less than a thousand kilometers we have built all across Sri Lanka. I don't think even qualifies to five to six hundred kilometers of expressways. But how many industrial parks have we created alongside these expressways? When Pusan, uh, Seoul, expressway was created by, at that time, General Kim, of, uh, who was president of uh, Korea. That was their starting point. 220 kilometers of that expressway, I've been on that. Alongside all the giant industrial parks got created. Here, how many parks have got created alongside our expressways? Traditionally, Katnaika was there since President J.R. Jordan's time mm. with minus expressway. So there was the Katnaika uh, free trade zone, a sizable one. Mm. About uh, 100, close upon 90,000 employees were there during my time as chairman of the BOI. Having said that, up to Hambantota, we have the expressway, about 200 kilometers. How many parks are there alongside? How many investors have moved into this location? Simultaneously, we should have built our industrial base. In Kapalthore, planning was on. Since the time I myself was chairman BY, then subsequently as Minister of Investment Promotion in 2006 government. And when I went to Trinkamali as governor of the Eastern Province, still the Kapalthore, no industry has taken place for 25 long years. Why? Now people encroach onto the land. It's alongside the, uh, the, the China Bay and also the Trincomalee Harbor, uh, one of the largest natural harbors in the world. But where is the industrial base getting up? So that is why we need mega investors to come in to this country. 
And for that purpose, we need the Japanese, we need the Chinese, we need the Koreans, we need the, the Thai investors, we need the Indians, uh, we need the Middle Eastern investors, we need the European and the United States. We, and how many mega uh, industrialists are going into in the IT sector to Telangana state, uh, the, that is uh, the, the one that is separated from Andhra earlier, one state, now two states, Telangana and Andhra. Uh, Pradesh, so that one of the largest uh, industrial bases getting created in one state. It's a model for the whole world. Why? Simplicity of work and the procedures being deregulated and investment being encouraged. In fact, uh, the Apple CEO currently made a fantastic speech there. He's, uh, uh, he's Miss Cook. And what did he say? He said, most of the most convenient location. They'll shift more bases out of US in order to in order to India and to places like Andhra Telangana uh, to generate the campuses that can feed the IT base in this country in their country. So similarly, why can't we get that? I think we have got the correct leadership today in order to bring the investments to the country in uh, President Prani Vikram Singh, and we have the port city to be completed now. I am happy to know that uh, uh, there's the new chairman being put in there. Mr. Dinesh Virakuri, uh, who has a lot of experience, to handle the port city is the best because that's a destination by itself. Mm -hmm. We can create what it was meant to get created in terms of a destination like that of Dubai with the type of, the type of new banking uh, uh, operators, the type of policies that will go into encourage the leisure sector, the service sector, the finance sector, and we need it badly. And catering within our segment of South Asia alone. The India has three major, five major states uh, bordering Sri Lanka virtually. That is, you have the Tamil Nadu, then uh, you have Andhra and Telangana, mm -hmm. then on the other side you have Kerala, and you have uh, Karnataka, where Infosys and all that is, that is Karnataka states as uh, Bangalore. So with all the five, the population there is about 400 million uh, alone in that segment. And that alone is enough mm -hmm. uh, to cater to a good uh, presence uh, in terms of tourism, in terms of uh, uh, good transfers, in terms of money uh, being spent across the shores of uh, India. So we have to be part of a segment and cater to that. Mm -hmm. And then only we can rise and we can overcome our challenges currently we are facing. Uh, are these um expectations and our targets realistic. Uh, of course, it seems difficult in the current uh, circumstances, but the president's statement and uh, where we need to be, we've wanted to be um, South Asia, Singapore, um, but is this realistic going forward? That is why the president has said, start with unity, start without discrimination, bring about a cohesive approach to the governing style, be transparent, be honest, free of corruption, and then cater to the aspirations of the people, long-term basis. Not to find a Singapore tomorrow in Sri Lanka. You lay the foundation, right foundation. Now, how many times did President Vikram Singh lose out at elections? But he had a plan to execute. If people only understood the seriousness of that plan, even at that time, when we were coming out with the free economic plans as a government, uh, then, of course, the popular uh, sentiment was not in support of long-term planning. So that was a clash. 
That is why a cohesive approach is needed. That is, I think, the vital need for a unity government to get created in the start of uh, with, the, with this period in hand. So that will be in the constitutional reforms, stability, legal reforms, law and order, and then your question uh, whether these are realistic. Realization can come with these fundamentals being in place. Thank you very much for your time and for sharing your expertise with us. Thank you. We had with us uh, uh, a former foreign minister of Sri Lanka, a former minister of uh, industries as well as advanced technology, uh, enterprise development and investment promotion, and an attorney himself, Mr. Rohita Bogalagama, joining us at uh, Hyde Park on Other Derana 24. We'll see you again next week with yet another episode of the program. <laughs>